So I'm pretty proud of my team yesterday. Me too. We uh, we did not win. No, but uh, <laughs> but we had fun. The two things that stood out to me were first of all we came in second place, which I'm easily the best we've ever. Thank you. Easily the best we've ever finished. You really showed up at that soccer game. Yes, yes, and uh, but more impressive, I think, especially when you compare it to the first round of the Olympics, um, which just to fill you in, folks, uh, our at Odyssey at our school uh, at the beginning of the year and the end of the year as sort of a team building, relationship building exercise, we work with our advisory classes at the Olympics, the Advisory Olympics, as they're called, where we participate and compete in a number of games, both uh, challenging in their physical and mental capacity, and, uh, and whichever advisory is the most successful across the, the day walks away with a trophy, uh, and it's kind of a big deal. It's a huge deal. And uh, so what, you know, what we're talking about, I, I'm pretty proud that we're in second place, and my kids, they rallied around each other way more at the end of this year than they did at the start of the year which you, re- awesome. you remember the start of the year yeah it's just hard you don't know anybody you're like coming you're trying to make the most of it i feel like they're really relying on their like competitive drive as right. opposed to their like desire to work together to solve the problem at hand yeah um yeah and i noticed that too this time was like it was way more about like having fun and like being friendly and competitive in that way as opposed to like at the beginning of the year was so like we have to win like we have to prove ourselves but like Nobody look at me at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm not saying I'm bitter. I think that there were some events where maybe we were treated less than fairly. Bummer. But, uh, you know, in the interest... And, and the other thing I did was uh, when uh, the minefield, the minefield activity. Uh-huh. Um, my group, where they were moving forward, and my scholar who was blindfolded touched a mine. And... And everyone in my advisory was like, shh, no, like, you didn't touch it. You just let him keep going. And I was like, no. In Simmonslandia, we do not breed cheaters. You're going to go back to the start. We're going to do this again. And all of them groaned and grumbled. But we won the event. Yay. They had to start again, but they did it. And uh, they rallied together, and they did a great job. Morals. So, yes, that's what I'm, <laughs> I'm a very moral, morally principled person. Um, and so if I can impart that upon the kids, then I do. And uh, I, thought it w- I thought it went pretty well. Uh, it, was, uh, it was exciting to be part of. How Definitely. did you feel your team did? Yeah, I feel like uh, similarly there was so much uh, camaraderie. Uh, there were a couple times where I had to step away. And, I, you know, at the beginning of the year, I would have been so nervous, like leaving them with each other. And uh, it was as if I had never gone when I left for a <laughs> second. They just kept going, uh, like cheering each other on. Uh, I think for me the most fun uh, experience was the water balloon toss just like oh. standing across from uh, Alice across the field and just like lobbing water bottle or water balloons at her not water bottles water balloons that'd be an intense competition yeah. um and uh yeah it was just fun like as I said a while back it's crazy when you uh get to watch 14 and 15 year olds like revert back to the like childlike wonder of game playing and like having fun and being with your friends it it just kind of like surrenders them to a level of like joy that mm-hmm. um, adults don't get to feel very often. I feel like teenagers start to coach themselves into not feeling that way often. And so it's just fun to be in a setting where everyone can like let loose and like giggle and have fun and play with each other and not worry about like looking stupid. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was it was a, it was a good morning. The sun stayed away, so it wasn't blisteringly hot. Yeah. Uh, which is nice. So uh, great. Yeah, I thought it was uh, a nice uh, closing activity as the year is rapidly coming to a close for us here at Odyssey STEM Academy. Welcome to the Odyssey of Learning podcast. We're really excited that you're here uh, listening along. My name is Hunter. And I'm Courtney. And uh, we are going to be talking today about a myth uh, that we brought up in our second episode. We're going to go into a little more detail and it's all around feedback and what we refer to here at Odyssey as the iterative process. Now something I want to share that I think really complements well what we're doing here uh, and it's also some news that we have as a school. We had a mascot selected yesterday. We did. So we are now going to be the Odyssey Phoenix. Phoenixes. Phoenixes. Is that is that plural? I think we need we need to we, we need, need to, to officiate need, the plurality of yeah. uh, Phoenix. We are definitely each of us are an Odyssey Phoenix. Phoenixes. Phoenix. Yes, we are. Each individually as a phoenix. I don't know. Anyways, the reason why I love... Are we getting the research team on this? The plural form of phoenix is phoenixes. All right. Phoenixes it is. The Odyssey phoenixes. Um, it's... I, you know, I love this mascot because I think it represents so much of what we do exactly here at Odyssey, namely this idea that the phoenix as a mythical bird creature uh, is, you know, reduced to ash, but then from the ashes reborn into something exceedingly more brilliant. And when I think about giving feedback to a scholar and the iterative process in anything in life, the idea that you create something, but then in many instances, you've got to knock it down. You've got to reevaluate uh, what it is that you put together and then taking that feedback, turning it around and making it into something that's even brighter. I think the phoenixes uh, here at Odyssey are a great metaphor for that kind of work. So, uh, and you know, we're, we in the ELA humanities world, we're all about metaphors. So uh, I, I think that it complements uh, things pretty well. How you feel about phoenixes, Courtney? I love it. And I know you didn't plan what you just said, but it was like low key brilliant. <laughs> it was like the perfect lead in. This um, is not this is not a scripted show. I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> um no, but it was it was awesome. Uh I I'm really excited to be the Phoenixes. Um I think similarly to you, being raised from the ashes is is super symbolic of uh what it means to fall nine times and stand up ten. And uh, I really love that that is going to be the physical representation of, of what we do here. Uh, and I think it speaks far beyond the maybe constraints that can be associated with like a quote unquote STEM school um, and kind of goes more boldly into like what we really represent here. And so I love that for us yeah. and for the kids. Yeah, that's great. And connecting this back to our second episode, we talked a little bit about uh, our writing that we do within the humanities at a STEM school. And this idea that, you know, we may not be asking our scholars to pump out 12, 13, 14 essays in a year. Um, we really narrow down our essay load in that sense to three or four major writing assignments. And it's not so much about quantity as it is about quality. We work with each of these writing assignments extensively. 
because after the first draft, you're not done. Uh, we've you're created, never done. They're never done. It's never <laughs> done. We've created an expectation that you, you are actively pursuing excellence with your work. You create something, you receive feedback from an advisor like Courtney and I, you receive feedback from your peers, anyone who's willing to look at your essay and just maybe make a couple suggestions as to how it can be improved. Uh, and, and we're gonna be talking about that process today. So let's get into it. Iterative process. We've got, I got three questions here on my notes. I've got what, why, and how. Really classic questions. Pretty much about everything that happens in life. Yes. <laughs> so, Courtney, I'm gonna ask you, what is the iterative process? Well, I feel like you kind of already nailed it. Um, the iterative process is so much about taking a first attempt at something, be it a first attempt at writing a narrative, a first attempt at designing a robot, a first attempt at doing a kickflip on a skateboard, and iterating on it or revising it to make it of higher quality. So I think at, in the context of Odyssey, we think back to say the op-ed that our scholars wrote back in January. Uh, and some of them didn't finish that op-ed, not for a lack of trying, until like April, because they were iterating on it to make it stronger and stronger. So they do their first draft, and with that first draft, they rely on their notes. They rely on conversations we have in class. They rely on models and interactions with their peers and brainstorming. Uh, and they create that first piece of writing where they're like, everything I know now amounts to this. And then we help them know more. And we help them understand what a stronger piece of writing would look like through more notes or co-constructing a rubric and conversations and more like analysis of exemplary pieces. and dialogues with their peers, and then they iterate on that first draft and make it a stronger second draft. So they take everything that they know now up to that point and work on a new piece of writing, and so on and so forth. And that can go you know, anywhere from three iterations to 10 iterations. And I think that when we imagine learning new skills outside of school, the iterative process is so ingrained, it's so natural. No one is going to become like master chef overnight. Really? Except for master chefs, maybe. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, it's a process that you have to continue to approach with like an open mind and an open heart and like not a lot of ego. And when you can approach solving a problem or completing a task in that way, suddenly you're so much more receptive to like surrendering to that revisionist mindset and that revisionist thinking to create really exceptional work at the end of like a long, highly iterative journey. And it's sometimes tough to break scholars, break them into that way of thinking because they're largely coming from places where it's kind of been a one and done mentality. Totally. You put something together and for whatever reason, for all its successes and faults, you get a score and then you never gone. look at it again. Yeah. And it's gone. And you, we talked about that a little bit again in the second episode. And so the, the, the reason why we do this is just as we have been talking about, Courtney was uh, talking about it uh, just a moment ago, um, it's, it's never done. And, and when you continue to work and push yourself to improve, you learn more and the quality that, of the work that you put together is far and away greater the more and more you iterate. Um, and I love that you connected it to a kickflip in, in skateboard. I mean, I, I'm coordinated in some things. I'm not coordinated in skateboarding. Same. And I just, I couldn't even imagine 
Well, I could. I could imagine actually getting a skateboard and someone showing me, okay, here's how you do a kickflip, and then I try. And if, if really, I, if I if for whatever reason, I really wanted this or I really needed to be able to demonstrate the skill, I would have to come up with some sort of strategy that's, that's going to allow me to be successful. It's not a one and done. Right, you can't just do it. And yeah, I think and that's would, a great analogy. It would probably involve like looking up a ton of YouTube videos and talking to a lot of skaters and like trying multiple different ways to attempt the problem and skinning your knee and like hurting yourself and then having to go buy a new helmet and then coming back with knee pads and a helmet and then trying again. It's like it never will happen easily the first time. Like nothing good ever happens easily the first time. Wrist guards. I'd probably have pillows yeah. strapped to my. You would. You'd maybe abdomen. have to like work, do it in the living room, <laughs> <laughs> carpeted floor. <laughs> um, yeah. That's good. But so Simmons, why do we do the iterative process? So we got the what. So now it's, I feel like it's time to think about the why. Like, why would someone want to approach thinking about writing or thinking about anything in this way? It's all I think about processing your work and understanding. The why of the iterative process is understanding why you have done the things that you have done. So, um, and we'll get into the actual process of giving feedback in a moment, but just as a kind of, of a primer for that, um, I will oftentimes leave comments that aren't necessarily um, like directly constructive and not necessarily like laudatory, but more just like questions. Like I'll see an interesting sentence that a scholar has written and I don't, I don't really have any strong feelings one way or the other. It's just a really remarkable thing for them to say. And a lot of times I'll just ask, you know, what, tell me about this sentence. Like what, what were you thinking about as you, as you put this sentence together? Um, like kind of give me the insider scoop as to that design process with your writing. And then they're, they're put in a position where they really have to start thinking about their thinking and, and understanding the why behind their own work. And I think when you're able to reason through that and you start to very critically look at your own writing, that's where very thoughtful work comes from. Uh, just this morning, as I was finishing up some, some later submissions of work, I, I, and I have to show you this later, I, um, one of our scholars submitted a piece of writing that was absolutely stunning. And I was a little bit concerned because this scholar, it, I, I know she's a good writer, um, but the, 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 it was the op-ed. The op-ed was due, what, back in March? Something like that. And I still hadn't gotten um, a first draft. And every week I would ask about it. She would assure me, Sims, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm getting feedback. Like, I'm, I'm driving forward. I was like, dude, get to the end of the year. I'm just like, <laughs> I need this essay, please. Um, and uh, finally, yesterday, uh, she turned it in. And it is... It's remarkable. I, I, I thought I was legitimately reading from like a scientific journal, like, wow. like a scientific op-ed. It was insane. And, and I think that that's due to the fact that she just throughout the year has demonstrated time and time again a willingness to be vulnerable in her writing, to receive that feedback time and time again and to continue revising her work until it was at a place where she was successful with it, advanced down the board. Wow. On, on the score chart. It was just, it was, it was really, really cool. And I hadn't read anything like that from a freshman scholar this year. Um, and I, I, I believe very firmly would not have been possible if it were not for the iterative process mindset that we've tried so hard to establish. So, um, and that I think takes us into the how, um, how we make this possible. What exactly 
the feedback looks like. So I'll turn it back over to Courtney to talk a little bit about our learning management system and what that entails. Yeah, and I think I'm really excited to have this conversation too because though we meet so frequently to talk about our practice, I feel like we could never compare our feedback habits enough. There's like so much to learn from each other, just like there'd be so much to learn if we had the science team here, the math team here, because um, everyone's giving feedback in slightly different ways and it makes me wonder about like what's the most effective way to do it. Um, but when I think back to our feedback cycle this last year, um, I'd be remiss to not mention AltSchool, uh, the learning platform that we use at Odyssey to track scholar success across all of their subjects uh, or all of their like content courses. So on AltSchool, it's essentially like an online learning platform where as advisors or educators, we design assignments that live online on something called a card. Um, and in that card can be embedded like Google Docs and freeform questions and areas for a young person to upload like a picture of their work. So it can kind of capture, it could capture audio files or video files. It can capture learning in, in so many different ways, but it kind of allows us to keep everything that they're doing in one space. So if we really wanted to see some writing that a young person is doing in their science class, like we have access to that card. In addition to homing the learning, it also provides us an excellent platform to communicate with the scholars. So we are able to like type up feedback, score it, send it to the scholars. They can read that feedback, redo their work, send it back to us, and we can kind of volley the work back and forth like that uh, just to kind of see their work go from like the first draft stage to the second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth draft. And it all is with this like trackable narrative feedback as well as like scores, right? Or they're like grade, graded feedback. Yeah, and the, that whole feature of, of how that is visualized, I think is such a crucial step um, that, that all school managed to put, to put together this year. We um, love you, all school. Yes. Shout Big, out to Kelsey. A lot of all school <laughs> love. Kelsey is, she's regional, right? Yeah, she's like our regional. Uh, team manager she's just she's like gotta be a manager overall like just awesome yeah, person great. um so responsive if ever we've had an issue with alt school we just very timidly like email like so there's this thing and, and she like, like immediately calls us and I'm is like i've got this yes and so we're, we feel a lot of love and support from alt school and so we're uh, we're really happy with the way that this is uh this has been put together um, yeah, but, but thinking about, you were going to talk about the progress bar? Yeah. you want No, you go for it. Okay. So the way we visualize their progress is that we assess all competencies and work at the school on a relatively simple scale. The work is considered one of four things, uh, the competencies anyways, would be considered emerging. The idea that, all right, you're just setting out demonstrating the skill. Maybe you're still grappling with some of the more conceptual um, ideas involved, but you're making an attempt. A step up from that is practicing. You're showing the skills. You, you're, you're demonstrating kind of in, in, in isolated moments that you, you get it. N nothing wrong with emerging and practicing. This is all part of the process. But what we hope as the year wears on, year in and year out, is that a scholar will make their way either to what we call meeting or advanced. Uh, meeting being, okay, clearly you understand this, this competency, you understand this skill, you are demonstrating it clearly and you're demonstrating it consistently. And then there's the advanced work that goes above and beyond the requisite expectations for each competency 
and they're doing work far beyond the the, uh, the levels that we would expect um, at least to get a to get a passing quote unquote passing score. And the way that that's visualized on alt school is it's uh, I'm not a math guy, so would it be like a like a like a plot diagram? Like a scatter plot, plot thing? Yeah, I think it is. But it's not scattered. It's like organized yeah, a plot, plot diagrams. diagrams. It's Math. a timeline. It is <laughs> it's, a timeline. It's a timeline with like plots of their scores if, if we in chronological some, order. If we get some feedback from all the uh, math Any teachers math out there advisors. to explain this or what help. this is, that would be great. But no, so you, you might have a scholar who across a year-long timeline maybe attempted a certain competency back in September, October, towards the beginning of the year maybe kind of hovering around the emerging practicing region. But then the more and more consistently that they work on that, we would hope and we usually see improvements. So we'd see a lot of emergings and practicings, then maybe exclusively practicing. And then maybe we start dipping into meeting. Uh, we get meeting for the rest of the year and maybe we get to an advanced stage by the end of the year. And what's great about that is that it tells us a story. It tells us the story of the scholar and their learning process. It also lets us know as advisors what are their needs. So if a scholar's plateauing in practicing on any given competency, that's a telltale sign for us. And, and, and that gives us the guide to really address what does the scholar need maybe some reteaching with or some additional support on. And that timeline has become an invaluable resource for us in terms of, in terms of managing that learning. Um, and that it's that visual component that I think is so powerful. Um, and I, I also think that in the same way that it's given us a lot of clarity on like what the scholars need in this moment, it's given them a lot of clarity and a lot of agency towards being able to see like, okay, I can visually track my own learning. And if I see like, okay, I was at emerging, I'm, I, I moved to practicing and now I'm up at meeting, but ooh, suddenly I fell back to practicing and now I'm back at meeting. Like, I don't think I'm working as hard at this as I, as I could be. I don't think I know as much about this as I could be. So it allows them to really like approach us and say, hey, I'm concerned about my learning right now. And I'm curious, like, what could I do to work to show competency in higher ways? And sometimes that looks like us giving them a new assignment altogether where they have a new opportunity to show their competency and their growth but it also means we might just give more pointed feedback and give them another opportunity to go back at something that maybe they scored practicing in in January and make iterations on it and work to make it stronger to take it to that meeting or to that advanced show of skill. And I think that kind of leads us into thinking a bit more about like what ways you use feedback in your own practice and in your own classroom. Uh, I think there's kind of in my mind like these two buckets uh, when we give feedback and one is a summative bucket, like you give kind of like this overarching, like tonal vibey, like this is kind of what I'm getting from your work. Here are some suggestions or thoughts I have about it as a whole. Uh, and then some more specific feedback, like, hey, you have lowercase eyes in this body of work. Like, what's up with that? <laughs> we need to like make this grammar like a bit more professional. Um, so I'm just curious, Simmons, if you could speak a bit more to like, how do you personally give feedback and what do you find to be the most uh, effective? I'm, I'm so glad you brought it up because the lowercase I thing has been it's a rampant. Thing. It's like text message year. culture. Yeah, it totally. It totally is. Um, and, I, and I love it when the excuse was, well, I did spell check. I did. I did the spelling and grammar check. I'm like, no, no, you are the spell check. You are the checker. <laughs> it doesn't work. Um, 
but yes, uh, so I, I think I will respond to that. I'll, I'll go anecdotal with mm. this one. Love it. So the final uh, writing, uh, major writing assignment we ended this school year with was the autobiographical narrative. This is, uh, this is actually an assignment I'm really looking forward to because it's going to be looped in newer and unique forms every single year that a scholar is here. So that by the time they're done with their narrative writing senior year, they'll be able to take all of this work into a more combined story. Like portfolio of sorts. Yeah, uh, about who they are and, and what they're all about. And anybody can pick that up and, and understand, okay, I immediately know who the scholar is and, and what they're looking to accomplish and achieve in their life. And so it was really great to see them starting to reflect on that. Uh, during the final trimester here. But we created, sticking with alt school lingo and terminology, we created three cards um, that were the equivalent of three separate drafts of this essay. Um, and the way I looked at it was after submitting the first draft, in my mind, I felt this is where scholars needed the most sort of uh, specific uh, nitpicky, call it what you will, uh, feedback. And so what Alt School is great at doing is we created a Google Doc with each of these cards. And what Alt School will do is it'll take that Google document and make a copy for every single scholar in your class and link it to their card. So as I, as the advisor, am going through and giving feedback and giving assessment, I simply go to their card, click on the linked Google document, and I immediately have access to everything that they've written, everything that they've created. So with that first round, what I did was I went to the Google Doc itself and I gave, I tore those documents up in a positive way. I don't mean that negatively at all. I just left so many comments. And during the exhibition, most of them chose to show their first draft because you see the draft of work on the left, and then there's this small column on the right. Hunter Simmons, Hunter Simmons, Hunter Simmons, Hunter Simmons, <laughs> all the way down, just all of these comments. And they talked about what they had to do to change their work in order to get it to, in some cases, where I could actually comprehend what they were saying mm. from sentence to sentence, but to also um, start thinking about, okay, how do I steer this towards that products and performances competency, where I'm able to produce a very professional-looking piece of work. Um, and so they... The, the jump from draft one to draft two was massive um, because of all that feedback that I left. A lot of it very technical, um, but also a lot of it just kind of more big picture. When, I, when we talk about like the organization of the story, um, the chronology that they chose to use, the clear significance they were trying to establish with their story um, and trying to build that bond and connection with the audience. How is any given reader going to become invested in you and your story? I would leave comments along those lines as well. So then they'd create the second draft. And when it came to the second draft, um, going to what you were saying about kind of those two buckets, right? So I started with that very specific, you know, uh, line by line feedback bucket. Draft two, I shifted to the summative bucket. I read the piece straight through as a whole. I didn't stop to leave feedback at all. And then once I was done reading, if I needed to make those, those more specific comments, like if I was still seeing lowercase i's or something annoying like that, I would mark up the document. But what I did most of the time was I would go to the actual alt school card where you leave um, assessment and feedback data on the card itself. And I just put together a 
you know, fairly decently sized narrative paragraph about what I felt the strengths of the narrative were and what I felt still needed some attention. So it was a lot more digestible um, during the second draft. And oftentimes because of the progress that they made from draft one, I didn't think that they needed um, it, just an intense amount of feedback. And I also don't have that kind of time <laughs> to do that time and time again with every single draft. Uh, and so I think that that was helpful. I love that alt school has such a, a natural uh, tendency um, to support narrative feedback and to display that uh, to kids effectively. Mm -hmm. um, so that then they would take that and then they all worked on their third draft. And the third draft, I think for me, was more a celebration of work. Um, you know, to look at how far they came from their first draft and to just help them recognize their achievement and, and what, how they've grown with that uh, assignment as a whole. And so I would just kind of leave a little encouraging note on draft three. Again, mark up the competencies, give it a EPMA, as we say, emerging practicing, meeting advanced, and, uh, and then submitted the card. And, uh, and now they have this body of evidence. They have three drafts of work, all with feedback from me that, that is, you know, by and large, that's the iterative process as, as we saw unfold this trimester. Courtney, I don't know if that's if that's what your uh, feedback looked like for the uh, for the narrative, but just in terms of what we would refer to as a feedback loop, scholar puts together work, gets feedback from the advisor, scholar revises based upon that feedback. Advisor looks at it again, maybe some of their peers or scholars look at it again, and then they continue to fix it, and then they resubmit it. It's kind of this back and forth volley. Did you have a similar feedback loop with your uh, work this year? Um, or, or what did the feedback loop, I should say, look like in your room? Yeah, I think it, uh, similarly to you, was kind of that volley back and forth, but it's so interesting to me that you chose to start with a specific bucket, because I did not. Mm. I went in like the complete opposite order that mm. you did. Because to me, it was like for the first draft, they were just piecing together the semblance of their story. This is in my mind. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to give them kind of semblance of the story type of feedback, focusing on some of those skills like you were mentioning, like organization and um, thinking about chronology and thinking about descriptive writing and thinking about like, what are you doing with time? Are you like speeding up certain moments or slowing down certain moments? How do you kick off your story? Like what exact space do you choose to start? Where do you choose to end? Like I was so much more, I think on my first read, focused on like trying to wrap my head around, like where are you going with this? And like, what are you hoping to accomplish here? And so the feedback I was leaving was similar to what you left for your second draft, which was just like a full on maybe paragraph or two narrative of feedback of like, here's what I think I'm seeing you doing. Here's what I'm appreciating about what you're doing. And here's where I'm confused. Like, this is kind of what I would urge you to think about next, whether that be like, you know, your opening paragraph started with like, it was a balmy day on the 22nd of November. You know, it's like, I don't know if that's the strongest way to start your story. If you could like jump in at a more interesting point, you know? Um, and so my feedback was so centered around kind of like these larger, like conceptual story crafting points of feedback. And then I wanted them to go back and like really write it up. Because when I myself am writing narratives or I myself am writing a story, my first go is like, I'm just trying to get my ideas out on the page, like kind of throwing some spaghetti at the wall and like hoping it sticks. Mm. Um, as opposed to, for myself personally, like if I produce a first draft of work, like my eyes are probably lowercase too. <laughs> you know, and like my sentences I don't know are like fully formed and like I'm kind of playing around with a couple ideas. Um, 
And so I wanted to honor that kind of messy, like goofy first draft practice. And then when we got time to go to the second draft and scholars were starting to give feedback and they suddenly had this co-constructed rubric that we thought really critically about, um, then I got more into the nitty gritty because suddenly like it wasn't just me supplying feedback to them. It was like they had resources that they could address also. So it was like I was giving them feedback. That's one channel. They were looking at the rubric and the prompt and their work. And that's another channel like self-reflection. And then their peers were adding their commentary and feedback. And that's like a third channel. And so suddenly it's like it becomes less of like I went from draft one I got Courtney's feedback. I went to draft two. I got Courtney's feedback. And it was more like we all were like teammates on trying to create the best piece of writing possible. But at the end of the second draft is when I started to like really lay into like this sentence is straight up confusing <laughs> or like what is up with this punctuation or like do you understand what quotation marks are meant to look like in a dialogue or like how do you break paragraphs to like slow down or speed up time. So it's focused a bit more on like that nitty gritty in the second. And then similarly to you though, the third draft, I was just like, wow, this is worth celebrating. Yeah. Like, let's talk through what I noticed you do from draft one to draft two. And then from draft two to draft three, it was just like almost in some ways a completely different piece of writing. And I feel like I was really able to watch them go from like eighth grade writers, like at, operating at like a 13 year old like headspace to writing like high school kids. And to have that happen in freshman year, I feel like is pretty special. Um, and so now when they're leaving to go to sophomore year, they're leaving with like so many more skills when they think about not only writing process, but also like what it means to revise their work and think more critically, like you were saying about the decisions that they make. Uh, and then now they have this beautiful piece of work that's gonna follow them like for the next three years, uh, which I think is really cool. And I don't know if you've had any similar moments, but there's fewer things more heartwarming to my humanity's heart than when I open up someone's Google document of work and I see comments from other scholars I know. in the Google Doc. It's so sweet. And those comments are the exact comments that I would make. And I'll usually add a note under there and be like, yes, <laughs> I agree completely. Um, and I think that also gives, that gives the scholars that left the comment sort of that affirmation, like, oh, I can do this. Yeah. Like I know what I'm looking for. Like it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be my advisor. It doesn't have to be my teacher that leaves this feedback. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fully capable of making very rational, critical feedback that is going to help someone improve their writing. So that's just very, very, very cool. Mm -hmm. Um, we have a couple minutes here before we close out the podcast. And so... I think maybe we just end with this kind of reflection we, we have at the bottom, uh, this idea kind of what is maybe our biggest takeaway or learning about feedback uh, from this year. So do you have something uh, to share in mind? Yeah, um, I starting at Odyssey in the fall and working on understanding a platform like AltSchool was challenging for me. I am so traditionally like give me a multiple pack color of pens and a piece of printed work and I will go to town on leaving feedback on that document and I love the like tangible process of like writing on a document to give feedback in that way um, and that's how, how I did it for my first years of teaching and how I learned best when I was in school myself and so tr like translating that into an online platform where we're not really working with paper as much and we're like so much more focused on Google Docs is really hard for me um, but 
I feel like I learned over the last year how to use that technology to my benefit to leave feedback that was actually being received by someone and then immediately turned around and like implemented into their work. And I think that it kind of boils down to two words that I used when I set my like New Year's resolution <laughs> of 2019 uh, that I want to give like specific timely feedback. And those that combination of phrases, I think, really speaks to like how young people I've like seen them like respond well to feedback. And I think that the more specific we can offer feedback to them without being like, Next, go to point B and then go to point C and now go to point D. Like, we don't want to give them a, a, like a list, like a checklist, but giving them like a roadmap that's clear to follow of like, if you are wanting to revise your work, I suggest you could like work on looking through step A and looking through step B and going to your notes and going to the rubric and revising this paragraph and constructing a stronger opening. Um, so the more specific the feedback can be, I think the better without being like reductive. And uh, the more timely the feedback can be, I've seen also be really effective to them, which as you mentioned is like really hard when all of a sudden you get slammed with like, oh my gosh, I have 80 narratives I wanna read and like give really thoughtful feedback on. It's like, whoa, that's a lot. And so I think just um, you and I have learned how to like better pace ourselves through that grading process and how to kind of rely on using our time in the classroom and our teaching to communicate more like general notes to the class like if 10 people even are going to have like one note it's like we need to go over that note in class and like reteach and rethink and like demonstrate how might you implement this feedback um yeah i don't know i feel like i kind of rambled a little bit but um that was my rambling, new year's resolution rambling is welcome yeah <laughs> that was my new year's resolution for 2019 and i think it's going to be something that's not like a check off new year's resolution just like a mantra i like to keep in mind like i want to give specific timely feedback and I, I mean, with everything you share, I think it's important that we, again, acknowledge how valuable a tool like AltSchool is um, in making this possible. N personally, I have not worked with a learning management system that so complements the, the style of feedback that we rely so heavily on totally. um, with, uh, within humanities. Um, not only in terms of narrative feedback, but as we talked about earlier, just displaying the progress of learning mm -hmm. um, and, and allowing kids to see that um, is really great. It's, just, it's, a, it's a really, really great tool. Now, I'm going to demonstrate some vulnerability because at the start of the year, the more and more I learned about alt school, the more fearful I became. Mm. It's that whole kind of fear of the unknown mentality. Yeah. And we got all this information thrown at us. Like, there's these things called cards, and you put the Google Doc here, and you, you, then you mark all these circles and, and stuff. And... and my head was spinning after that initial alt school meeting. I was like, I don't even know how I'm going to manage this. And I wouldn't even say that the way we handled alt school trimester one was all that successful. No. I think that we were making way, way more work for ourselves than was necessary. <laughs> we didn't understand it yet. But we stuck with it, yeah. And and what we have now, the system that we have in place, and the way in which we use it as a tool is so so important. Um, obviously, those of you listening at your you know your respective school site, uh, you probably already have a learning management system that your school or your district has partnered with and is relying upon. Um, 
even, even if you don't have access or an ability to bring old school into your practice, I think it's worth just at least checking out some of their videos mm-hmm. uh, and, and some of the resources that they make available to the public because the way in which they talk about feedback is I think that's, I think it's a practice that you can integrate into any learning management system. Totally, um, and, even and, pen and paper. Yeah, yeah, and, and bring into your own practice. So really, we can't say enough good things um, about uh, the alt school team and all of the support that they've given us and just the program that, that they put together. Mm-hmm. So we're really happy to share that. We're really happy to work with them. And we're really uh, happy to reflect on that practice here mm-hmm. on the Odyssey of Learning podcast. I think we've got one more in us before uh, before we hit summer. We'll uh, we'll put another one together and try to stagger them out, and we'll create the illusion of, be- <laughs> of, of time being passing. here all the time. Um, when but, really uh, it was just us like hold up in a room for a yeah, week. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. It's what you can't see. You just you just let your imagination do the work. Um, so we'll uh, we'll be back, I think, with another episode, and we'll we'll try to to stay in touch over the summer, um, and uh, we'll we'll put some stuff together, but. I think that's going to do it for yeah. us today. Crazy. So once again, thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to the Odyssey of Learning podcast. I'm Hunter. And I'm Courtney. Have an awesome day, folks. Bye. See ya. See ya.